one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. Hi there, welcome to the David McWilliams podcast. As always, I'm joined by my old mate, uh, John Davis. How are you? How are you, head? And of course, by the stat expert himself, Finn McLaughlin, in the badlands of Hackney over in London. How are you, Finn? What's the crack, lads? So listen, let's kick on. If you enjoy the content and you'd like to support us, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. You can unlock a variety of exclusive content, including extra episodes, behind-the-scenes content, Q&As, and for the next couple of weeks, exclusive tickets for two sold-out amazing events at the Dorky Book Festival. The first one is a conversation between myself and the extraordinary Jared Diamond. Now, Jared Diamond has been called the master storyteller of the human race. I've been looking forward to talking to him for years and years, and it's going to be on Monday the 27th in the Mansion House at 7pm. There's two tickets to be won on Patreon. And this is a real gem. You've got the opportunity now to a gig that was sold out after a minute of it going on sale with a brilliant Stephen Fry and the man who, by designing three of the most iconic products of our age, the iPod, the iPad and the iPhone, has changed your world possibly more than anybody else alive. Johnny Ive, the chief designer of Apple. The gig is on Saturday, the 15th of June, in the Seafront Marquee at Dorky. The tickets have been sold out, but you got the chance to win two if you join the gang here at patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. And you can get all of this, the content, the tickets, the Q&A, all for the price of a pint. How are you, son, John? You well? All right, yeah, yeah. What's the crack? The crack is I am going up to Tala. The Tallis Stadium. Oh, for the match? Yeah, Rovers against Bowes, the the, uh, the derby this evening. Uh, Rovers, as you know, are playing as I know well because you're a great <laughs> fan of football. I've always seen you there. So you always strike this hoops. man with a great uh, great tactical knowledge. No, 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 hang on, Mac. You are the, you, the I, Pep Guardiola of sound engineering. I, I have a very strong memory of the two of us dressing up in our Sunday best. And it was the shirt, the tie, the whole lot. We were all of about 10 or 11. And we got on the 46A to go to Milltown. And we 
I suppose you would have got Jesus. the bus yeah. to, to Donnybrook, Donnybrook and walked up and walked up to see Shamrock Rovers and Bows, and we were standing up. That uh, is a brilliant memory. Go on. Yeah, in the terrace. Totally out of place. In our shirt and ties. <laughs> Everyone else in the hoops, jerseys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's always, always good for little, little middle-class kids to actually enjoy oh, yeah. the football. But it was that our was, venture out. That was, I remember that, and that's when Johnny Giles and Dunphy and all those guys came back to Dublin and they decided... Were they, they were playing? Gonna, they were playing and they decided they were going to make Rovers, they were going to turn Rovers into this yeah. force in Europe and then they decided to sell the ground. Oh, which was really, which is now school, which, which is now school. Yeah, but anyway, I'm going up there tonight, so that'll that'll be Excellent. that'll be a hoot. Great, you know, it's uh, and it, it's it's always good, you know, to see to see League of Ireland football is at a stage now where I don't think it has been at for a long time, which is actually getting better. Crowds are coming back, not huge, yeah, yeah, but they're coming yeah. back. And you know what? Maybe at some stage we, we need it. We need it. It's not the most interesting yeah. league in the world, but we actually need it. And in the era of John Delaney, which we won't talk about. But we do need it. And look, if you look at small countries like Denmark, Norway, those countries, they have created really good teams out of their league. So let's let's hope we can do something similar. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what else was new? Oh, yeah, I had this very, I'm going to brag now. Go I on. had a very ridiculous weekend. Oh, yeah. I went for dinner with George Clooney. And no, his, way. <laughs> no way. <laughs> and his missus, Amal, who was Amal, really yeah. cool. I was, I was I thought she was going to be really because A, she's so beautiful. And B, you know, she's a, So was he. <laughs> well, it's funny. My missus just said, my shan said, you know, not only was he really, really good looking, like better looking than he is in the movies, yeah. but he was really nice too. Oh he was, God. He was really unbelievably decent, really interested in the world, interested in politics. We talk about all sorts of stuff. His missus was a hoot. Like she was, I thought she was going to like this really serious chambers, London barrister, yeah, human rights lawyer. lawyer. Not at all. Really girly, really good fun. Stayed up really late. A lot of gargles were had. Brilliant. And Clooney and, and was What were you just, talking about? Well, it's kind of interesting because, you know, you think, what do you talk to George Clooney about? Just saying, oh, yeah. I saw Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Where do you start? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but he was really, really open and really decent and straight away, not straight away, but after a while, straight into politics, Trump, American politics. He's very engaged, isn't he? He's hugely engaged, hugely yeah. engaged. American politics, where it's going. He had been back to see his Irish relations, the, Clo oh, right. the Clooney's of Port Leash, and he'd been Jesus out with them the night before. Christ. He'd been out with them the night before. So I said, I was that. He said, it was a bit mad, but it was grand. And he was he was really sweet about that. But then we got talking, this is the whole purpose maybe of today's show. We started talking about the right wing yeah. in France, Brexit, of course, the right wing in the UK, the right wing in Germany, and the upcoming European elections. And and of course he was adding in his the the Trump side of things, right? And then we started to talk about the fact that uh, Trump and what we call nativism, you know, mm -hmm. this 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 basically this white vote, is not new, and it's a very old thing. And Clooney's great great grandfather emigrated just after the famine, arrived in New York with right. nothing at all, yeah, nothing yeah. at all, like so many of them, like so many of them. An actual fact at the in the eighteen. 18- Late 1840s and 1850s, a thousand Irish people a day were arriving in New York City alone. Jesus. So we talked about that and what actually happened at the bottom of the pile. Yeah. What happens when you arrive in a new country, when all you have is your own people? That's your network. Yeah. Where you don't have any skills, you don't speak the language. Many of them didn't speak English. How do you get on? And that's where it got me thinking about poor Muslims in France who've arrived, like the Irish did 150-odd years ago, poor Muslims in England, yeah, the Turks in Germany, 
the immigrants in Sweden? And is there any lesson that we can learn today from history, both economic and political, that could be applicable in the next couple of weeks in the European election, where the right-wing anti-immigrant vote is suggested, at least, to sweep the boards, particularly in the UK, right? because the Brexit party is going to wrap itself in the flag. So it's going to be an English vote, more or less, and a white English vote at that. Mm. And of course, in France and in Germany. So that's that was the that was the chit chat. Very interesting stuff. Wow, brilliant! So, in order to actually explore that a little bit, I went back to look at what actually happened. Oh yeah, and what we were discussing, Clooney and I, was this weird thing. Clooney and I, I love that. It's quite good, actually. Isn't it? Yeah, your man, your man. Anyway, no, the weird thing of how many Black Americans have Irish Catholic surnames, right? Right. So Shaq O'Neill. Yeah. Eddie Murphy, Condoleezza Rice. Obama. Oh, well, oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, Randall Kennedy, the great American black academic. You know, all these people have Irish Catholic names. How did that happen? So I went back and I started looking at the research. And there's an amazing book by a fellow called Noel Ignatieff, okay, right. called How the Irish Became White. And it's a history of the Irish in the ghetto in New York, Philadelphia, and Boston. And it's this he sounds idea. Like, he sounds like he's Russian. Interestingly, because we have a Canadian producer, his son, Michael Ignatieff, ran for Prime Minister of Canada. Ignatieff, oh. I suspect, is Russian originally. Yeah. Michael Ignatieff's his son, big brainy lad. This is the Owlad, no. Right. Who was a professor <clears> at Harvard <throat> and wrote this really interesting book. He just thought, hold on a second, there's something interesting here. What happens when people arrive in a country with nothing and how do they progress through the ranks? Yeah. And what you find is one thing is, number one, and this is the Irish surname thing, this is really interesting, that what happened in America when the Irish Catholics arrived was something that had never been seen in the Northeast free states, as they called them, the free states that were, that mm -hmm. where, where black people were, were liberated and free and not slaves is you had an alarming, they call it an alarming in the book, right? But a massive rise in mulattoes and mixed race kids. So in 1850 in Philadelphia, 15,000 mixed race kids were born. That was unheard of because the white wasps yeah. never mixed with the poor blacks. So what happened was the Irish and the blacks were living together, but also that Irish women arrived in New York and Philadelphia and Boston, okay? They had no money. They had yeah. nothing to sell except themselves. So they went into prostitution in huge numbers, which is what we see in lots and lots of immigrant societies right. all yeah. the time. And when those women gave birth to kids, black kids, yeah. they kept them and they kept their mother's name, which is hence the Murphys and the Kellys and the O'Neills down that black side. Because they're all the illegitimate kids. Because they're all illegitimate kids, yeah. right? So that's really interesting. So what happens first is that the Irish mixed huge numbers with yeah. the blacks. Yeah. Black men, freed black slaves, were at a higher social rank than the Irish guys who came here, because the Irish guys had no trades. Yeah. So there was a hierarchical pecking order as well going on. But they were still in the category of no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Absolutely. But this is what happens at the when you're when you're both down in the ghetto. When yeah. you're both, you know, it's it's this tiny mar you know, yeah, yeah. these small margins make a big difference. But sorry, these guys, a lot of the Irish though were farmers. Well, that's the interesting thing as well. You point out, like, most of Irish migration in the 1840s and 1850s to the United States, a disproportionate was from Connacht yeah. and Westminster and Donegal, 
Okay, yeah. so the West Coast, right? Yeah. Which is why Irish speakers refer to the famine as the great destruction of the Irish language because it was really predominantly on the Irish-speaking Western okay. seaboard. Yeah. They're all agricultural. This is really interesting. Yeah. These are people who'd never been to a city before. And, and they're going to a, a country with an abundance of land. Exactly, and they didn't take it up. And why Bizarre. is that? The Germans, on the other hand, took it up, who were, were probably quite likely to have been semi-urban when they left Germany. They became farmers. The Irish stuck in the ghetto. And maybe it is because, and this is what I want to get onto here, because of the outrageous anti-Irish feeling that predominated the United States once they arrived. And this is the parallel to what's happening with Le Pen or with the ADF in Germany or okay. with the more extreme... Okay, yeah. That basically what happens when a significant population arrives in that is different to the native population, to the local population, the first thing is at the very, very bottom, you end up scrapping with the people who are already at the bottom, in this case, the black people. Yeah. Okay? The second thing is as you climb your way up, you threaten the other whites... Okay. Yeah. But interestingly, as you climb your way up, you stamp on the people be below you. Okay. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing is 1848, 1847, 1849, 1850 is a boom time in America. Okay. The early 1850s, there's a recession in the United States. And something really weird happens there is that when the economy turns down, there emerges this party which became known as the Know Nothing Party, which sounds really kind of creepy. Who, in itself. who are they? So these were Protestant tradesmen in New York, Boston, and Philadelphia, those three big cities, right. who were threatened by the arrival of Irish immigrants because the Irish immigrants dragged down wages. And to the extent that their wages, they were working men, these were Protestant working men, yeah. they dragged down their wages as well. But the, the Irish were, un were unskilled though. They were unskilled, but what they were doing is they were actually taking all the unskilled jobs. And by that, they were beginning to drag down wages everywhere. Okay. But the second thing is cultural. And this is, again, back to Le Pen and the Muslims and everything, right? That the wasps in America hated Catholics. Part of the narrative of America, which is why we get hillbillies. Like hillbillies, we forget that hillbillies were supporters of King Billy from the hills. They came down from the hills right. of Appalachia. Okay, yeah. So all the emigration from Ireland to America before the famine was almost 100% Protestant from Ulster, the Ultra-Scots, right? Yeah, yeah. And they brought with them their hatred of Catholicism. Yeah. That was part of their identity. So you get this weaving into the American wasp fabric, and then suddenly all these paddies emerge. You know, as I said, a thousand a day. A thousand a day is unbelievable. So it's changing everything completely. And also the Germans who arrived at the same time were also Catholic. Yeah. So we, we forget that, that the Germans were Catholic as well. And this sparked a combination of a culture war and an economic war, which manifested itself in this party called the Know-Nothings, which did extremely well in local elections. Why, why were they called the Know-Nothings? Because they were a quasi-secret outfit. Okay. Okay. And when they were asked by journalists, because there was, I mean, people forget there was a very vibrant democracy in America, a very vibrant journalist scene. And when they were asked, are you part of this anti-Irish crowd? They'd say, I know nothing. So they suddenly became the know-nothings, right, right, right? Right, right? But they were a very significant political force in the 1850s in the United States. Now think about it. They're a reaction to a cultural difference, a religious difference, and an economic threat Okay, Mark, so hang on a second. What has that got to do with today and the European elections? I think I think it is everything. I think that if you forget your history, you're condemned, obviously, to make 
these mistakes again and again and again. What happened in the United States is, is three things which I think are very similar to Europe. One is you get this economic dislocation, massive dislocation, when a huge unexpected migration arrives very, very quickly. That's the first thing. So it's economic dislocation. Second is the cultural dislocation, this kind of Catholic versus Protestant culture war that was yeah. going on at the time. You can see that playing out with the Muslims as well in, in France, in particular the Turks in Germany. In Italy, you see a massive change because the Italians didn't have a certain huge amount of migration until very, very recently. And now they have this huge African migration. Yeah. And again, culturally, they're very dislocated. In Spain, you see exactly the same thing. All these countries have a lurch to the right, exactly like the Americans had when the know-nothings began to dominate the political discourse in the Democratic Party and in the Republican Party. Yeah. We seem to forget that. That So you see these three things. You have economic dislocation, you have cultural, not so much dislocation, but cultural challenges. And on top of that, you have the political reaction, again, framed by the fact that the American economy starts to slow down. Right. It's when the economy starts to slow down, all these factors... The pressure is built. Exactly. So yeah. if, you look, if you look at Brexit, if you look at where the votes for Brexit were, they were largely in places that the economy had forgotten the people over a long, long time. In France, Miss Le Pen's... Yeah. Votes are exactly the same. They're coming from the industrial heartland in the northeast or they're coming from the south of France, okay? Likewise, the ADF in Germany, the ADF, this alternative for Deutschland. Yep. This is largely a phenomenon of the former DDR, the former communists. Yeah. So you don't see any ADF real inroads in what was known as West Germany because it's much richer. So you see this in East Germany. Yeah. So it's really, and an actual fact, in East Germany, you see both the ADF on the right wing and Die Linke, which is the old Communist Party on the left. Both of them, ironically, are allied in this election really? on an anti-immigrant right. gig. Right, right. So a bit, they're, they're, they're like the UKIP. They're like, they're, yeah, it's, it's where UKIP and the new Brexit party of yeah. Farage meet together. So if you look at this, and again, what you see it in Spain, Spain is, for the first time since Franco, for the first time since Franco, think about it, it is seen a right-wing party, a proper, yeah. not like the Party Popular or the kind of right-wing light, okay? Yeah. But a proper right-wing crowd so, emerging. So so let me ask you then. And that's why the history is interesting because yeah. it's all happened before. Well, that's what I was going to say is that we seemed condemned to repeat ourselves over and over again. Now, is it a case of, you just mentioned Spain there, has it been a long enough time since Franco that they've forgotten the history. And so what have we forgotten as Europeans about our history? And what have we learned? Because it kind of seems we've learned fuck all. <laughs> For the technical term. No, I think that one thing is you can get over hysterical about the rise of the right in the sense that it has been coming for quite a time. Quite a hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Long times, just bubbling under the surface, right? My sense is that what we see everywhere, and ironically, we don't see it here, which is interesting, but that's for another conversation. Yeah. Ireland has yeah, been kind yeah. of odd. It's, you know, I think it's probably in the post. It's probably in the post. Yeah, exactly. Tashig chat. But uh, what I would say is you take a country like Germany, because Germany is the interest. So Germany is a country that both didn't give itself the permission, nor was it given the permission to rule Europe after the Second World War. So Willy Brandt, the great German chancellor in the 60s and 70s, says that Germany is an economic giant, but a political pygmy. So it was always afraid because of the Second World War, yeah, because of the Holocaust, yeah. because of the Nazis, that it always was afraid even to suggest these feelings were there. And because of that, the Germans constructed this incredibly interesting constitution where the federal states had loads of powers. People forget that it's the Federal Republic of Germany, okay? It's a very different yeah. political structure. The most important institution in Germany is the Constitutional Court, and every citizen can go to the Constitutional Court and say, this is unconstitutional. And why is it doing that? It's trying to protect Germany from a leader who tore up the Constitution, i.e. Adolf Hitler. Right. right? Who right. tore up the Constitution, yeah. tore up treaties and said, I don't care about these. He said treaties are there to be broken, actually. That's what he said. Yeah. So Germany is the canary in the coal mine. The ADF in Germany are, I think, more worrying than even Le Pen's crowd in really? France. Because Le Pen's crowd in France have been allowed to express anti-Muslim feeling for a long, long time. It yeah. hasn't been the same neurosis. I mean, the French, as you know, have done the most fantastic rebranding exercise. I mean, the fellas in Coca-Cola would love them, mm -hmm. right? From having yeah. been almost uh, to a man collaborateurs, and then they all turn around and say, we're all part of the resistance, right? Yeah. Okay. And you know, you, you see all that, right? So France has never had the same purge of its inner soul that Germany had, you know? be fair to say, though, that in France, we've already had a couple of elections where, while Le Pen has done well, she still hasn't won. She still hasn't won. And the interesting and thing in France, and the good thing you should always remain France, is that in the first round of presidential elections, Le Pen always gets about 23% of the vote, okay? Or that's where she peaks, right? Yeah. But when they're given a chance for a one-on-one -on -one head off between Le Pen and Macron, the French vote overwhelmingly for the centrist character. 
Finn, have you any uh, stats on what's going on in Europe? Yeah, well, I mean, just that you bring it up, because um, thinking about the European elections, I guess, and my thinking going into it would have been that you actually might have seen a pushback against these nativist movements because, I mean, not to the same extent in other countries as it is in Ireland, the UK, but all of this media coverage of Brexit might send, tell people to hold on a sec, what the fuck are we doing, yep. essentially? We've, we've got it okay here. But I guess you have, to, you have to contrast that perception of what's going on in Europe with the facts on the ground. And I mean, if you look at just say Italy overtook Spain for the first time in a decade in terms of youth unemployment. So it's risen up to 33% in Italy. Which, That's extraordinary. I mean, they're second, they're second in the EU now, just next to the Greeks who, well, have been, have been there for a long time, let's just mm. say. Yeah, so 30% youth unemployment. So you take a country like Italy. Italy, what we forget about Italy and it's really interesting, and I think it's because Ireland has unfortunately been deluged with English propaganda in economics. And by that I mean, you know, the English always start out, the Italians are lazy and they're disorganised and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, right? the jingoism, the All British that jingoism. nonsense, all that yeah. bullshit, right? You know, and, uh, but if you look at the facts, Italy is the second industrial power of Europe Yeah. after Germany. It's a bigger manufacturing power than France. People don't seem to realise that. Yeah. The north of Italy is the most sophisticated manufacturing area in Europe and has been for hundreds of years. Yeah. Now, this is why Italy... So you can say, well, you know, what happened in Greece is kind of, you know, sui generis. It's kind of unique to Greece. The country has been badly run for a long, long time. Italy had been badly run for a long time, but it didn't seem to matter to the economy up until about 10 years ago. Now the Italian economy is displaying all sorts of signs of extraordinary neurosis. Italian companies can't compete the way they used to compete. Italian car makers, Italian designers. Why? People say that one of the reasons is the Italians joined the Euro and they were the only people who were in direct competition with the Germans in the car industry, in the design industry, in, for example, remember Zanussi, all these Italian brands, right? Which were really, really strong. Right. And they have suffered really badly in the euro because up until the Italians joined the euro, they always devalued the currency. So they always legitimized their own. So they let inflation go a little yeah, bit. Yeah, there's always a billion lira to... And then, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> for every tuppence. For every tuppence halfpenny. But they always, they, that was the system. It's like, okay, we will devalue eventually. Yeah. And the reason we'll devalue is because that will give our manufacturers like Fiat or, or whatever, that'll give them room to actually legitimize our own practices yeah. and French, still compete. The French had big car industry, has a big car Has a big car industry, but it's not a massive exporter. The right. Italians are a massive exporter. Okay. But where the French, if you think of the French, the French, the German, the French, you know, the large agricultural sector, Germany didn't. Yeah. They were quite happy to trade with each other. The Italians seem to have got squeezed more by the euro yeah. than any, any other country. And of course... You know, at a certain stage, if you are run by a man like Silvio Berlusconi, yeah, who is Donald Trump with probably more makeup, more sex appeal, more sex appeal, and a better bandana, <laughs> yeah. a great bandana, you know, great bandana. Do you remember his bandana? Yeah. I loved his bandana. But I mean, if you you know, so Berlusconi is Trump in Italian, okay? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, this yeah. is this is fifteen, sixteen years of misrule 
of gouging the state, of undermining yeah. the institutions. And then you see, if you go to London, for example, you hear Italian spoken. The amount of migration of professional Italians to the UK yeah. has been phenomenal. Okay? So you take that, the end result is 30% unemployment. And now Italy is run by a right-wing party, the Northern League, and a left-wing party, the Five Star Movement. So the centre of Italian politics is gone. This is likely to be repeated again in the European election, notwithstanding what Finn was saying about Brexit, but my own sense is that whenever I travel to Europe, Brexit is never the headlines. They don't care. Yeah. It's like, if you're friends, like, yeah, get on with it. Yeah, no? yeah. Well, absolutely. You yeah. know, like, you want to leave? Oh, fuck just off then. Get on with go it. Go off a chase as wet. You know, it's like that, did you see that yeah. WhatsApp? Britain has not left the WhatsApp group. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> but, so, let's look at the, let's look at what's coming up. So, if we're veering more and more to the right, and by the way, I don't know if you have a, an angle on this, but the influence in Italy in particular, of Steve Bannon. He's, yeah, he is. Steve Bannon is, from what I'm only reading the papers. Yeah, oh, me too, yeah. sniffing around. Uh, the interesting thing, the Italians have done something that really pissed off the Germans recently, which is they signed, you know, the, the, the Chinese have this big thing called the Belt and Road Initiative, which is China wants to build a new trade route, and it is building yeah. between Shanghai and Europe via Istanbul. Yes, yes. The Italians signed up to that last week. This really pissed off the Germans because the Germans have a fear of China, which is really legitimate because think about it. What the Chinese have done to American industry in terms of competition and what they have done to other industries, they're going to do to German industry. Right. Because make no mistake, German or European? German. So German industry is hugely, hugely dependent on the car. Yeah. Okay? Hugely, right? Make no mistake, the Chinese are going to destroy the German car industry. And the Germans are terrified of that. So any alliance... Yeah? Sorry, Finn. Just just say, which is very much a parallel of what's happened between Germany and Italy over the past 20-odd years with the euro. Exactly. So right. that, yeah, I hadn't thought that's exactly the thing. So the German industry destroys the Italians in the Euro, the Italians just can't fight back, yeah. right? And Germany takes all the spoils, as we know. Yeah. The Chinese are looking at the global car industry and they're thinking, we're going to have that soon, Yeah. right? And there's no, there's no idea that there's something going on in Germany that's going to be so brilliant in manufacturing. The Chinese will eventually have a look at that. So that's one of the reasons the Germans are particularly upset with the Italians who went beyond the Europeans Yes, Finn? Judge, it's the only other point to make is um, two things. Again, you risk falling into the trap of the Brexiteers in Britain of assuming that all of Germany is all geared towards the German car industry. <laughs> that's all that matters. Yeah, that's true. Okay, but, which, which is, I think, is an important point, but also the fact that when was the last time you saw a Chinese car? I think that's something you need to recognise as well. So it's not necessarily strictly the car industry. But more as a, a manufacturing economy in general, well, the, I, high-end manufacturing. I, I was economy. actually going to ask that question as well. Is that you know this has been coming down the road for a while, and as we've all spoken at length before about the importance of education and innovation and and creativity, that it's up to Germany and Europe to adapt exactly. And, and I and I think Germany will take the lead. I remember we talked about the idea that the political pygmy 
versus the economic giant. Yeah. Now Germany is saying, okay, we've done the political pygmy thing, that maybe a sign of Germany becoming normal is the rise of the right wing. If you see what I mean, that basically mm. then you take off all the strictures and you allow these things emerge and they emerge in Germany, but without Germany facing the world as a global power and leading Europe into this, not so much confrontation with, but this sort of face off with China. Yeah. Okay. And this is why they're pissed off the Italians, right? Who were kind of bought by the highest bidder. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah then Europe is really on the back foot. And we can't afford that because, let's come back to what we're talking about, it's the economic slowdown which has inflamed the racial tensions, which is being fought out at the bottom in France between the, you know, the Gilets jaunes and, and everybody yeah. else, okay? Yeah. Yeah. This is all against the background of manufacturing industry shifting from the west to the east gradually. Then you get the economic slowdown, and you get immigration, and you have the same cocktail that you saw in the United States in the 1850s, except the difference is now the people who are threatening the culture are apparently Muslims and Turks and people who look different, of different skin. Back then, it was the paddies. Yeah, yeah. So sum it up for me then. If Europe is veering right, where will that leave us in the next few years? It's, Should we be worried? Well, look, you know, the, the big fear is that people think this is the 1930s all over again. And that people like ourselves, or certainly people like me, said, ah, you know, it'll be fine. Don't worry about this little fellow with moustache. I know he's a bit weird, but he doesn't mean it. All that stuff he says about Jews, he doesn't mean it. Okay, yeah. it's only electioneering. And then with transparency, he meant it. Yeah. And he did it. So that's the, the fear that nativism, which is all based on breaking down the global rules that have pertained for the last 40 years, 40 or 50 years, okay, which is free trade, the free movement of people and the respect for democracy and the respect for constitutions and all that sort of stuff is being gradually but progressively chipped away by Trump in the United States yeah. and by the threat of the right wing in Europe. My own feeling is that social democracy is sufficiently strongly embedded in Europe and even here to protect it from this, what I would say is quite nasty right-wing movement yeah. that most people, when they really think of it, say, hold on, do we want this shit? Now you come back to the French, right? So the French are happy to vote for Le Pen and, you know, cha-cha-cha-cha. Yeah. But when it comes down, they say, okay, it's this lady here against Macron. They vote in massive numbers for Macron. Uh, there was there's a guy in France called Mélenchon, who's the kind of like, like a very left-wing user. Same idea, really popular on the streets, great orator, you know, galvanizing the fellas in the yellow vests. But when it comes down to it, even though Macron is unpopular, the majority of French people say, look, we, so can't, safe. we can't be going there. So right? Bernie Sanders will never... Well, win. maybe. And like you look in Germany, right? You know, there's a lot of fear now that because Merkel is leaving the stage and she's been so dominant... Yeah that the CDU won't have a leader and the SDP, the Social Democrats, are losing out and this will allow the space for this new right-wing party. But you know what? My own sense is that what, what happened in France when it comes to elections will also happen in Germany. Mm. The great, the great uh, leading indicator is what happened in Holland. Do you remember in Holland there was the man, Gert Wilders, was supposed yeah. to win? and the man with said, the head, yeah. hair. The man with the gruik, yeah. <laughs> and eventually Dutch people said, you know what? Fuck this. But... 
where it's all different, and we might talk about this in later episodes, is Central Europe. Once you go over to Slavic Europe, Poland, Slovenia. Hungarians. And the Hungarians aren't Slavs, but they're in that neck of the woods. Yeah, yeah, I know, but it's just uh, a new man, Orban. You know, you're in a different kettle of fish. Yeah. And again, what's emergent there is incipient anti-Semitism, which hasn't gone away, and all sorts of quasi-nationalist movements that seem to me to be much more toxic than anything in yeah. Western Europe. Finn, you got, a, you got a word in this? If I could jump in, yeah. Well, I mean, just to push back a tiny bit and perhaps give you some optimism about Eastern Europe. As we I need think a the bit Slovenians, of that, <laughs> I think the Slovenians just elected a female uh, investigative journalist to uh, launch an anti-corruption tirade, got into politics and is now elected to the highest office in Slovenia. Uh, what, so I is, what I love is the, the, the way the researcher calls out bullshit on the boss all the time. <laughs> Well, I'll tell you another one, actually. The Ukrainians voted in your man, the comedian. The comedian. And also, there was, uh, it was just yesterday yeah. that um, one of the mayors in Austria wrote this really racist poem and published well, oh, it. Oh, do you mean an Austrian being racist? Never. <laughs> but the Austrian president? The young fella. The young fella. The, the right-wing young yeah, fella. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he looks like a member of Boyzone who fell off yeah. the stool. The way the boys on used to be up in the stools singing, love me for a reason. But he, he called the mayor out on it. Did he? Yeah, he did, which was uh, quite unbelievable because he's very right wing. He is so. very right wing. And he's another disciple of Steve Bannon. Well, it's interesting. A friend of mine, an Austrian mate of mine, uh, a fellow from a place called Graz, the south of Austria, which is obviously the city closest to the former Yugoslavia. So it's getting all the, the immigrants come from Croatia and Serbia. So. I asked him, I said to him, Hansi, I said, how would you describe the Austin? He said, we are very creepy. <laughs> I just thought that was such a fantastic wizard. On that note, yeah. let's leave it. We'll come back. But European election is going to be, thanks, but fuck, it's not Brexit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something new to worry about. <laughs> yeah. Or to talk about at least. Okay, listen, what is always fascinating for me, and again, it's the way I think about economics and politics, is the way in which history always seems to repeat itself we're not really good at learning the lessons. And the interesting thing about the Black Irish and the interesting thing about the Irish in New York in the 1850s was just how the Irish tune, the Irish song, if you want, the Irish playlist has repeated itself right now, again in France, in Germany, and to a degree in Britain. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Now, if you like our content and you want to support us, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. If you become a patron, you can unlock all sorts of interesting new content, interviews I'm going to be doing, ticket giveaways for those interviews, those conversations with really interesting people, experiences that you can't get anywhere else. And this will ensure that the podcast remains ad-free and you can get all of this stuff for the price of a pint. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.